Specifically, what I want to do is give a biblical basis for heart ministry. Now, I'm calling it heart ministry, but I'm talking about inner healing. How many of you have heard of inner healing before? Okay, good, most of us. Inner healing uh, was really controversial. Apparently, still is in some streams. But, you know, with any revelation, people can take it to an ungodly area, right? With anything. And so, some people do. But the fact of the matter is, this, this is such an important part of our walk with God. I'm talking about the heart. So I just wanted to give, because one of the main criticisms of the inner healing movement is that it's unbiblical. Some stuff is. Not that it's unbiblical, it's just extra biblical, meaning that you can't find it in the Bible. It doesn't mean it's against right, the principles of Scripture. But some people have an issue with some of the stuff that you know, inner healing ministries do. So then the question becomes, okay, well, um, where is inner healing in the Bible? What I want to talk about is give you scriptures saying, this is a really important ministry, actually. This is a really, really important thing that we consider um, scripturally. And so I just want to actually show you scripture showing the importance of this so we all know, okay, this is actually a good thing. This is actually something we should consider. It's not something that we should brush off. And the interesting thing is I'm going to show you a lot of crucial scriptures in the Bible on, the, on matters of the heart. And we all know they're there, but it's, it's interesting how these things don't get talked about. I don't know how to explain this. It's like we talk about the heart all the time, but it's almost like you don't hear messages on the heart for some reason, even though it's such an important uh, a part of the new covenant, really. And so I just want to kind of go there today, give you a scriptural foundation. Now, I call it, I'm calling it heart ministry because that's really what it is, but for all intents and purposes, talking about inner healing. So first of all, I already kind of uh, set myself up here, but I want to talk scripturally about the importance of the heart. You don't really hear messages, at least I don't, on the importance of the heart. But this is like one of the most, the heart is one of the most important parts of the new covenant. It's, you might be like, what are you talking about? I'm going to show you some scriptures that show this. That Jesus switches the paradigm from outward works in the old covenant to all being issues of the heart in the new covenant. So first I want to just show you, this is, we all know this, but this is from Mark 12, 28 to 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all these commandments, which is the most important? Wow, like, you know, we heard this a million times, but, but let's, think, let's go back, like this is the first time we heard it. This is, according to Jesus, the most important commandment. Um, by the way, there's a nursery, I don't know if you know, there's a nursery right there. Just so you know, and there's toys, and just thought I'd mention it in case you're interested. Yeah. Bless you. She came all the way from Toronto. Welcome. Love you guys. <laughs> so, this is the most important commandment. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. With all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So what I want to say then is our main goal in life should be to put the first commandment in first place above everything else in our life. Because according to Jesus, that's the most important. That's what we're, we talked about eternity for a long time, what we're going to be assessed on. Did you learn to love? Now, 
According to this scripture, in order to love God, or sorry, loving God with all of your heart is a major part of this commandment, isn't it? It's a major part. So what does it mean to love God with all of your heart? Is a good question. In order to answer that, we should actually consider what the heart is. What's the big deal about the heart? And if we can answer that, then we'll realize ministry to the heart is an important thing so that we can fulfill the most important commandment by loving God with all of heart. Because if we allow things to get in the way, then that'll prevent us from loving God with all of our hearts and from fulfilling the new covenant walk in the Lord. So in order to love God with your heart, sometimes we need to receive ministry to help heal our hearts of issues and hurts and unforgiveness and anything that can get in the way from loving God fully with our hearts. So Jesus put the heart at the forefront. And this is interesting. If you think about it, he put the heart at the forefront of many of his teachings because the new covenant, and I'm going to show you other scriptures, the new covenant is all about matters of the heart. How many of you, we all know the parable of the sower? I hope. Yeah? Or I shouldn't say that. Do, do you know which one I'm talking about? Oh, okay. If you don't, um, maybe I should have given the whole parable. Jesus gives a parable with the sower. And he talks about a sower or a, a farmer who sowed seed, and some fell along the path, some fell, went on uh, rocky soil, some fell on th- soil that had thorns in it, and others fell on good soil, and that produced a crop yielding a 30, 60, 100-fold return. So then Jesus gives this parable, and you know, this is one of the most important parables in the entire Bible. In fact, in Mark chapter 4, when Jesus gives this parable, and the disciples ask him, what does that parable mean? Jesus is like, you don't understand this? If you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand all the other parables? In other words, this parable is a key to understanding every single other parable I'm going to give you. So this is a really, really, really important parable. Now, I assumed everyone knew this parable, and if you don't, uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 12 gives the actual parable, but I wanted to fast forward to Jesus' interpretation of the parable when his disciples asked them, what does this mean? This is Jesus' answer. So this is Luke 8, 13 to 20. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. So that they may not believe and be saved. Now, I want you to just remember the word believed for later. I don't know, like quite a bit later. But notice the connection to believing in the heart. Those on the rocky ground are those who receive the word with joy. And when they hear it, they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns... Stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. It's, he's, this whole thing's about the heart. Who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. The heart, the heart, the heart, for emphasis is the most important part of receiving, believing, and walking a righteous life with God. The heart. That's why Jesus puts this at the foremost, the parables about the kingdom. Now, why am I saying that? One of the purposes of heart ministry is to uproot the thorns. That's why I emphasized that in the previous verse. The thorns of life. 
that choke the word so that people don't fully mature. That's the key. If we allow thorns in our hearts, now the thorns, Jesus gives some examples, worries of life, pleasures, riches, those things. If we allow them in our hearts, they choke the word and prevent us from fully maturing in our walk with the Lord. Right? That's what he says. Prevents them from maturing. So part of the deal with inner healing is getting rid of those thorns so that our heart becomes good soil and it produces a crop and a great harvest for God. The other parables in both Mark and Matthew to say a 30, 60, 100-fold return, talking about heart responses to God. So in order to fully mature and produce a crop for the kingdom, we need to sometimes uproot the thorns that are getting in the way and choking the word of God. Does that make sense? So I'm just going to give you some other uh, new covenant or sorry, scriptures, talking about the new covenant in the heart. Again, my point is, wanting to make us all realize how important the heart is and issues of the heart are and why inner healing matters a lot. Why at least considering it matters a lot. Because the new covenant is all about the heart. Now, I'm going to say this. Paul the Apostle's understanding of the new covenant is highly influenced by Old Testament passages such as these. And I'm going to read them to you. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 Jeremiah 31, 30-34, and Ezekiel 36, 25-37. Paul references these prophetic words about the new covenant in his letters to distinguish the new covenant from the old. Okay, And what I want you to notice is every single one of these, the common denominator is the heart. When God's prophesying about the new covenant, every single time the common denominator is the heart. Okay, that's just, of course, because of today's message, what I want you to notice. So here's Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Already in the book of Deuteronomy, foreshadowing and speaking about the new covenant. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and live. Does that sound familiar to you guys? Remember, what's the number one commandment? Loving God with all your heart. That's what he's saying. God's going to circumcise your heart so that you can fulfill the number one commandment to love him with all your heart and all your soul. Now look at Romans. This is Paul clearly alluding to this passage. This is, this is all, uh, uh, he's talking about the new covenant. Romans 2, 28 and 29. A person's not a Jew who's one only in, outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who's one inwardly. Notice the shift from the old to the new, outward to inward. The new covenant is all about inward, heart issues. And circumcision is a circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Notice he's totally taking that right from Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Showing, telling them, this is what the new covenant's all about. The heart by the spirit is how you fulfill the new covenant. Walking by the spirit. Now here's Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 34. This is the first time in the Old Testament someone mentions the new covenant specifically. The first verse. Jeremiah, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. I, it will be, not be like the old covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them from the land out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put 
my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. See that? Already in the Old Testament, God's like, this is what the new covenant's all about, the heart. The heart. The heart. He's just hitting it home, the heart. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they'll all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I'll forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Ezekiel. I love this passage. Ezekiel, now this is later than Jeremiah. Ezekiel specifically relates the new covenant of keeping the law in terms of the spirit, and that's another key for another day, and the heart. So, Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, I'll sprinkle clean water on you, and you'll be clean. I'll cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you, that's where Paul gets that from, and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You see that? How are you going to follow God's decrees in the new covenant? By the spirit who he puts in your new heart that he gives you. It's all about the heart in the new covenant. So Paul picks this up. And I'm going to show you some verses where he totally cites these passages. So here's one, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 to 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set a seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. Now this is 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Fast forward two chapters. Chapter 3, he elaborates on this. That's what the whole chapter is about, distinguishing the new from the old covenant. And one of the main distinguishing factors is it's all about the heart. So he uses, he makes the point that the old covenant uh, was written in stone that signifies the stony hearts of the people. Remember in Ezekiel, he talks about, I'll take away your uh, heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Okay, so... Here we are. I'm just going to read the first first, uh, six verses. 2 Corinthians 3, 1 to 6. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are a letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You should know, or you show that you're a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets, of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything of ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He's made us uh, competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. You see that? The new covenant, this is, I'm just going to summarize here. We're no longer following a set of rules in the new covenant, but we're being led by the spirit who's in our hearts. Walk by the spirit and you'll not fulfill the, the desires of the flesh, Paul says in Galatians 5, 18, no, 16. And then in verse 18, he says, those who are led by the spirit are no longer under the law. Okay, so the new covenant is all about the spirit who he places in our hearts and that's how we follow his law, decrees and his laws, he says, right? That's, that's what he's prophesying about. So, all that to say, if you, I hope that convinces you that the new covenant is all about the heart, right? You can't, you can't get around that. There's so many, not only in the old covenant prophesying about the new covenant, talking about the heart, talking about new covenant scriptures from Jesus and from the apostles saying it's all about the heart in the new covenant. 
So it's of utmost importance that we maintain a good heart in order to live righteous life in the new covenant. Okay, and that's the point of the parable of the sower. There's different kinds of soils represent different heart postures. You need a good, uh, you need to get rid of the thorns, all this stuff. You need a good posture of heart, good soil in order to produce a harvest for the kingdom. So we should proactively guard our hearts. That's a key. We need to guard our hearts from the tares of life, talking about the thorns in the parable, that get in the way from loving God and from loving others. See, that's what happens. If we let the thorns get in the way, that prevents us from fulfilling the first and the second greatest commandment. The second greatest commandment, right after he says, love your neighbors yourself. You cannot love your neighbor unless you learn how to love yourself. And often you need to get tears and mindsets healed up so that you can actually love yourself in order to love others. So in order to fulfill both of those, the greatest commandments that Jesus gives us, we need sometimes to deal with heart issues. So if there's tears in our heart, inner healing ministry helps us to uproot them so that our heart becomes the best kind of soil. So there we go. The importance of getting your heart healed. Now, I just want to go keep talking about this because, again, I'm giving a biblical foundation on why inner healing matters, why it's important, why it's important for us to talk about the heart and consider our heart condition sometimes. So the importance of getting your heart healed. Now, what I just said, the parable of the source shows us that only people with a soft posture of heart, the good soil, will accept the word of God and the things of the kingdom. And I gave you all, he, he talks about it in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He has the parable of the sower. And he's, so now the thing that's intimidating, <laughs> I don't know what the right word would be there, but I'll just say intimidating, is that the opposite effect occurs when people have a hardened heart. So if you have a good heart, Okay, you're going to accept the word of God. You're going to believe. You're going to uh, produce a good harvest in the, the kingdom. But if you have a hardened heart, this is the thing. You reject the things of the kingdom. You reject Jesus' words. You actually reject Jesus himself. Okay, one of the main issues Jesus encountered in his ministry were with people who had hardened hearts. It's all throughout the... So I'm going to show you one of these. Okay, this is from Mark And what I'm showing you is this is the importance of getting our hearts healed. Because if we don't, this can happen. Hopefully not this. But but I'm using this to show you. Could happen. Illustration. So this is Mark 3, 1 to 6. And he entered the synagogue again. This is Jesus. And a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. So that they might accuse him. So they're already there. That's their intent, right? And he said to the man who had a withered hand, step forward. I love this. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save or life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, Jesus was angry. Hardened hearts are an important thing. He looked at them with anger, grieved by the hardness of their hearts. You see that? That's what's going on here. They had hardened hearts, and that's why they were so opposed to the Messiah. The very ones who were waiting the most eagerly for the Messiah to come are the ones who rejected him because they had hardened hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. 
Now get this. This is what they were so offended that Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. The Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him, how they might kill Jesus. That is fruit of hardened hearts. And, and you know what? And I'm going to show you this. One of the things that hardens our hearts is the traditions of men. And I'm going to show you that in the next verse I'm going to talk about. The traditions of men and sin are the two things scripturally that harden people's hearts. Okay, so people with hardened hearts don't accept the things of God and end up rejecting him and his word. And again, this is, interestingly enough, illustrated in the parable of the sower, isn't it? The one that fell on stony ground and the one that fell among the path that didn't embrace it, the devil, they didn't embrace the word and the devil took it away from them. Illustrating hardened hearts. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm just giving you some, the, uh, for the sake of time, I'm not giving you the whole portion, but I'm going to give you the highlights. This is from Mark 7, okay, starting in verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, and they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, they were unwashed. And then Mark explains what, why that's significant, and I fast forward to verse 5. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? Traditions of men. Instead of eating the food with defiled hands. Something as simple as washing hands. Okay? Jesus was super upset. (laughs) This made Jesus mad that they would ask such a thing. Get this. Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, their hearts, their hearts are far from me. Their hearts. You see that? Of course you see that because I said it three times. (laughs) I'm being dramatic for a reason. This was why Jesus rebuked them. Because they had hardness of hearts because of their traditions. This is what he says right after. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. That's why their worship's in vain. That's why their hearts are far from me. Because they're more concerned about traditions of men than they are with me and my ways, says the Lord. So you have let go the commands of God. And this is, he summarizes, and are holding onto the traditions of men. Then he goes on and gives them other examples of what they're doing wrong. And you know what's crazy? In verse 13, I don't have it there. I've talked about this before, though. Jesus says, by your traditions, you nullify the word of God. By your traditions. By by washing your hands and commanding others to, you're actually nullifying the word of God. Can anything nullify the word of God? Apparently, the traditions of men. Hardens your hearts, makes you closed to the things of the Spirit offends you when God moves in a way that's outside of your traditions. That's why it's important, okay? So, fast-forwarding then, I see it's already up there, to verse 14. This is really important. We're talking about the heart, okay? So Jesus says, again, he called to the crowd and, and he said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them, Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you still so dull? (laughs) I hope Jesus never says that to me. My goodness. 
He asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. And then he says, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Here's where I'm going with this. Very, very important. Verse 20. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it's from within, out of a person's heart. That's what defiles them. Look at this. Out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. You see why the heart matters? You see why the heart matters? Why we need to get our hearts right? Because this is where sin originates and what defiles a person if we don't take care of the issues that are in our hearts. That's what defiles a person. And that's what Jesus was trying to do is shift their paradigm from outward externals. Oh, it matters what you eat. Food laws. Jesus is like, no, it doesn't. What matters, how's your heart? How's your heart? Because that's what defiles you if your heart's not right with me. Now, this... Okay. I added this this morning. So remember I said, what, what's... Okay, first of all, emphasis why is it important to consider a heart and get it right with God? And I said, okay, this is, this is the fruit of... If your heart becomes hard, this is the fruit. You reject the things of God, you reject the word of God. What hardens your heart? So first of all, traditions of men. Secondly, sin. Okay? Sin hardens your heart. So this is from Hebrews 3, verse 7 to 13. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did, That's why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray. That's what God cares about, their heart. And they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, this shall never enter my rest. Now this is the exhortation, verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, notice the connection to sin, sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see that? What hardens the heart? Traditions have been sin, other things. But you look at the parable, what are the thorns that choke the word? The cares of life, pleasures, deceitfulness of money, all this stuff. So what happens when we live a life in the world, not of the world, but in the world, and there's sin all around us, And we're exposed to all this stuff, and we don't deal with some of the stuff that inevitably, right, um, can go in our heart if we don't guard ourselves. And that's, I love this, Proverbs. We all probably know this. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 to 27. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. We're talking about meditating in the heart. Jesus, right here, God is saying, meditate. Meditate. Keep your words in your heart. Keep them in your heart. The parable of the sower, the word of God, sowing in your heart, that'll produce a harvest. So he goes on to say, for they are life to those who find them and their health to one's whole body. Notice the connection 
to health by having God's word in your heart. That's one way that you can live a healthy life in your body. There's an interesting connection there. But get this, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, above all else, everything else, guard your heart. Why? For everything you do flows from it. You know, another translation says, out of it flows the issues of life. Everything in our life flows out of our heart condition. That's why it's so important to guard our heart. Now, the interesting thing, okay, well, how do we guard our hearts? Right? That's an important question because that's the exhortation. He answers it right after verse 24. Keep your mouth from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Notice the mouth, what you say, your eyes, what you look at. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. We already talked about sin can harden your heart. So this is how we guard our hearts. We watch what we say. We watch what we look at. We watch what we expose ourselves to because if we're not careful, that's sowing thorns potentially that could grow up and choke the word of God. Now, I talked about the mouth and I want to show you this verse. There's a direct connection. What you say with your words is actually showing yourself in the world what's really in your heart. Your words are a window to what's in your heart. That's why in the, what I just showed you in verse 24 in Proverbs 4, it says, watch what you say with your mouth. Remember in Mark 7, Jesus says, out of the heart is what defiles you. Okay, so this is Matthew 12, to 37. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can your evil say anything good? Here we go. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You see that? So we say something. Say we're angry and we're arguing. We say something crazy. Wow. We should examine what's going on in my heart. How did that come out of my mouth? You know, I love, he, he's saying, you have the fruit, you have the root. That's what he's saying. You have the fruit, you have the root. So a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. It's pretty simple. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment. We talked all about that the first half of this year. <laughs> For every empty word they've spoken. For by your words, you'll be acquitted. By your words, you'll be condemned. Why? Because that's showing what's in your heart. There's evidence. You said it, that's in your heart. That's why it's going to either condemn or acquit you on the day of judgment. That's proof. Look, you said this. That shows there's something in your heart. And this is why, I believe, we can, ex well, we can explain a lot of Jesus' teachings on the Sermon on the Mount because of this connection. Going back to Matthew 5 now. This is right in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 21 and 22. You've heard that it was said that the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says, notice words, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be danger of the fire of hell. Why? What comes out of the hearts with defiles people? Mark 6. Your words show you what's in your heart. Matthew 12. So, you call someone a fool, you got murder in your heart. Notice that connection. 
You say commit murder. I say you say a fool. Why? Because you murder the person in your heart. It is intense, I realize, but the, I'm, the point of this is showing you the heart matters. We should consider, right, how our heart condition is. Because of this, this connection, because of how important it is in the new covenant, right? So, for out of the mouth, the speaks what the heart is full of. If we say evil things and something in our heart needs to be dealt with, is the point. Now, note, and remember in Proverbs 4, 25, I talked about, he says, look at what you gaze on. How do you guard your heart? Your mouth, your words, your gaze. What are you looking at? This is why Jesus says in Matthew 27 to 28, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, why is Jesus, it seems like he's taking the law and making it harder. No, what he's doing is actually saying, you're concerned in the Old Covenant with outward externals, like don't actually commit murder, don't actually commit adultery. What I'm saying, it's all about the heart of the New Covenant, right? Because if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery. It's the same thing because you did it in your heart. And that's why he says in Mark 7, it's what comes out of your heart that defiles you. And he, he names it sexual immorality, right? That's one of the things he listed, that defiles people that come out of your heart. And so... What goes on in the heart is just as important as what we actually act out, according to Jesus, in these verses. Therefore, it's important that we get our hearts healed so that we can walk in the ways of the Lord. You see how important the heart is, right? It's all about the heart in the new covenant. And so inner healing, ministry to the heart, is something we should seek after if there's bad fruit. And that's important, if there's bad fruit. Um, I was going to talk about this later, but I feel, I'll talk about it now. One of the main criticisms of the inner healing movement is that it makes people introspective, too introspective, that you're always looking inward and you're no good to other people. You say, oh, what's going on inside of me? And I heard John Sanford say this, that we should not be navel gazers. We should run and walk normally with the Lord there's a balance to all this, right? Walk with the Lord. But as soon as we see bad fruit, then look inside, right? Then look inside. It's not like we're going to... And Bill Johnson always talks about this. There is a trap. There's a trap if you become too introspective. Because you're always going to find stuff, right? And Bill Johnson said this is... He got way off track on this back in the day. And he says he doesn't even do it anymore. He doesn't even look inside. Because he became too introspective and that, that put condemnation on him. But if you got bad fruit, then, then you're like, hey, maybe I got to get healing with this issue that's going on. You got the fruit, you got the root. So ministry to the heart, just quickly. What does that look like? What does that mean? Now, I'm talking generally now, because there's a whole bunch of different ministries to the heart, and they all have different methods. But I, so I'm going to talk kind of general. The Bible should always, always be the basis of heart ministry, okay? So if you're getting heart ministry and you're seeking, okay, you know, there's these different ministries, what, how should, which one should I choose? Number one, are, is it, is, are they using the word of God as a basis of their ministry? Because if they're not, that's potentially a red flag. Because there's, and I'm not going to name any ministries, but I know there's some, they, they use Freudian principles and it's like, okay, maybe that works. I, but you know what I mean? So there's, you got to be careful that, that it's based in the Bible. Now, I say that loosely because, like I said, principles that could be good, even if they're not exactly in the Bible. But you see what I'm saying? Does it 
come in alignment with Scripture. The Bible itself tells us that the Word of God is the instrument for discerning what's in the heart. Now, this is from Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it's the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So that's why any inner healing ministry has got to be rooted in the Word of God, because that's the way you discern people's hearts. Now, it's not just Scripture. It's the spoken and the written Word of God, right? So you need both, and that's why some inner healing ministries, you're not going to see a Scripture reference and verse for what they're doing, but it's the Word of God. They're hearing from the Holy Spirit, okay, I see this. So you need both. It's not just, right? I hope you're hearing me there. It should, but the Word of God should always play an integral part of the ministry. Are they seeking the Lord for revelation? Are they seeking the Holy Spirit? Are they praying about what's going on inside of you? That's the only way you're going to get healed, likely. So what's the role of a prayer minister, just quickly? Good prayer ministers should be evangelists to unbelieving areas of believer heart, believers' hearts. I love this. I, John Sanford talks about this. He's, by the way, the founder of Elijah House Ministry, which is really one of the main forerunners of the inner healing movement, if you didn't know that. And that's who Carol originally got into into the 80s. Anyway, look at this. Hebrews 3.12. I gave you this earlier. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Remember in the parable of the sower, the first kind of soil that fell along the path, and I told you, remember what in the future I'm going to say this, was connected to belief. It didn't penetrate the heart. The devil took it away, and it said they couldn't believe. And that's, so the heart is critical for believing anything in the new covenant. It's all about the heart beliefs. Okay? Straight from, we know this verse. But I'm going to show you something different. The Lord uh, showed John Sanford something different about this. Romans 10, 9 to 10. You declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. The new covenant in the heart, right? It's critical. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now, this is interesting. The Lord confronted John Sanford on this, and he said, you've been reading that verse wrong all these years. You thought you believe in your mind, right? right? You write beliefs in your mind. He said, no. The verse says you believe with your heart. So this is what he told John Sanford. In every area that a man cannot manifest the nature of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, that is an area in which his heart has not yet believed the good news. I'm going to say that again. In every area that a man cannot manifest the nature of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, that's an area in which his heart has not yet believed the good news, right? Because the heart is what believes the good news. So he said every, each sinful practice of the old nature is an area in which the heart is not fully believed and appropriated the good news. So what prayer ministers are actually doing is applying the gospel to deeper and deeper in other areas of the heart. That's why they're evangelists to unbelieving hearts of believers. You see that? So, inner healing ministry is a gospel of prayer ministry to the inner man. It's about bringing to death that which is in people that it's troublesome. Bringing to death that which is already supposed to be dead in Christ. Old sinful patterns that still needed to be dealt with and so forth. The thorns in the parable of the sower, if you will. 
the stuff that's choking the word. The point is to be is to set people free from the root causes of sinful patterns and behaviors. Now, here's a scripture for you if you're skeptical <laughs> about this. This is from Colossians 3, 5 to 10. This is an exhortation put to death. And that's what prayer ministries help us do. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge uh, in the image of its creator. What's the point? The job of an inner healing minister is to help you learn how to rid yourself of these things. That's what it's saying there, right? By helping people apply what Jesus did for us and truly rid ourselves of these sinful practices. What I want you to notice in Mark 7, I talked about this earlier. Notice the list I just gave you in the list what, what Jesus says about the heart. Tons of overlap with the things he right. It's out of the heart these things come. Sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Notice the connection to Colossians 3, 5, or 10 to 15 that I just gave you. So prayer ministers help put to death the old self with its practices and apply the cross and resurrection of life of Jesus to each area of the heart that becomes, so that it becomes good soil. That's the point. That's the point of any good prayer ministry for inner healing is that it helps you put to death the old sinful practices that should already be dead, pulling out the thorns, making your heart good soil so you can live fully for God. Okay, so what should we do in light of all this? This is, this is I'm concluding here. How is your heart? That's a good question. Now I hope you're convinced that it's something we should consider sometimes. How is your heart? I remember when I was a student at Bethel School of Supernatural, Jason Valentin, who... His dad helped start Sozo, Chris Valentin. He asked, he, he would ask his friends, that was a, his roommates, just out of nowhere, how's your heart? I remember hearing, I'm like, man, what a good, like, that's an intense question. Someone asked you that, but that's a good question. How's your heart doing? And then I had a friend who would ask me that sometimes, like, whoa, yeah. And then, you know, so it's a good thing to consider sometimes. How's your heart? How's your heart doing? Now, I already talked about this, so I'm not going to again. But I, I want to summarize and remind you that the heart's critical for the new covenant, and we should guard our hearts with all diligence and weed out any tears that might be hindering us. And I already said, we don't want to become too introspective, but when we run into bad fruit, then we should ask the Lord what's causing it. Show us the root. Okay, that's the key. We look in just now, this is also a key. If you see bad fruit in your life, here's the process of what you go through in a quick one sentence. Look in just long enough to see what's there. Here's the problem. Repent of it, confess it, bring it to death on the cross, and ask for a new heart and move on. It's that simple. Those four things. We don't want to get stuck in the past is the point. We don't want to become navel gazers. So just to finish here, I'm going to give you guys some good scriptural prayers on the heart. If you're like, oh man, like, I don't know, I want to consider my heart sometimes. I love David because he asked God to show him his heart a lot. And thank God for Trisha's thing earlier. Awesome prayer. <laughs> Psalm 19. This is what she was talking about, that, this whole thing. This is David's prayer. Look at this. I love this. Verse 12 through 14. But who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Often these things in our hearts are hidden, right? 
And that's why David prayed that. He said, forgive me of my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I'll be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Verse 14, I love this. May the words of my mouth, remember how important words are to the heart, and the meditation of my heart be pleasing your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What a good prayer to pray regularly. Why not, right? These two, three verses. God, forgive my hidden faults. Help me meditate on your word, the good things. And may they be pleasing in your sight. Look at Psalm 51. How many of you know Psalm 51? This psalm is awesome. We probably all have heard if you don't know the reference. This is when David, he, he unfortunately right, did the whole adultery thing and Nathan confronted him. He repents like there's no tomorrow. This whole psalm is him repenting of that. And it's awesome. But for the sake of time, I have three verses here. So he's asking God, wash me clean of my sin, you know, forgive all my iniquities. And and look at verse 10, create in me a pure heart. That's a key, remember? Repentance, confession, bring the death on the cross and ask God for a new heart. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. What a good thing to pray if we've accidentally stumbled in sin or whatever. So the whole Psalm 51 is. But asking God, create in me a pure heart. Why should we, now this is a good question, a pure heart. Why should we care so much about having a pure heart? I hope by now you know. But look at this promise that Jesus gives if we have a pure heart. Matthew 5a, blessed are the pure in heart for they'll see God. There's a connection with having a pure heart and seeing God. And I'm going to show you this last verse here. Psalm 24, 3 to 6. Notice the connection to the pure heart and seeing God. Who may ascend to the mount of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Those who do not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Here's the promise. They'll receive a blessing from the Lord and a vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Who seek your face, God of Jacob. So on that note, if you're interested, here's three pretty popular inner healing ministries. The first is Elijah House. They're not as, well, they're still pretty popular, but they used to be more popular. But they're great. Great resources. Great, 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 great. I highly recommend that John Sanford is a prophet. He's a prophet, and a lot of the stuff he got was from Revelations, prophetic encounters with the Lord personally. Now, he wrote that famous book in the 70s, The Elijah Task. He's a prophet. And so it's really neat because a lot of this revelation he had in inner healing was from the Lord, straight from the Lord. But anyway, that's Elijah House. Restoring the Foundations by uh, Chester and Betsy Kilstra. This is really, CTF really embraced this more recently. Um, and it's a great ministry. You can look it up. I have all the websites there if you're interested. And then Sozo Ministries. It, it, that's the one that originated in Bethel Church. Right, they, they all have strong points. They all, right, are powerful. And so these are just, if you're wanting more resources on inner healing, there you go. You can look up the websites. There's good books and all that good stuff. So, yeah, so we send these uh, PowerPoints. If you're on the Joyful Tidings newsletter, we send them out uh, every week. And our, you can email us at ottawaatcatchthefire.com. 
and we'll send you this audio uh, of this sermon if you want to listen to it again in the uh, PowerPoints. So on that note, let's pray. God is good. God, we thank you so much for, for your scriptures. We thank you so much for the Bible that, sh- that you show us so much about what's important, what to focus on. We just thank you for all this revelation that you have in your word about the heart. Lord, we just ask, just like David did, that you forgive us of our hidden faults, that you keep your servants also from willful sins. May they not rule over us. Thank you that then we'll be blameless, we'll be innocent of great transgression. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And Lord, I just ask that you help us to consider our hearts. How is our hearts? Just like David prayed in Psalm 139. Lord, that you would show us inside and let us know if there's any offensive, wicked, or hurtful way in us. Lord, that you would lead us to the way of everlasting, that you would give us revelation if there's any thorns or tears that we need to deal with and show us what the root causes of those so that we can deal with them and repent and confess and move on. And Lord, I just ask if there's anybody in this place who... Uh, that you were exposing or revealing anything as I was speaking that might need to be dealt with in their hearts, Lord, that you would just help us to repent and confess those things, to put them to death on the cross, and that you would give us a new heart, a heart that's pleasing in your sight and, and, and a new spirit within us. Lord, I just ask if the issues are beyond uh, uh, what we're able to do on our own, that you would give us people to seek out who have revelation and inner healing, who are able to help us and set us free of the thorns and tears of life that hinder your word in our lives. And Lord, I just ask that you create in all of us a pure heart, that we'd be those who see the Lord, that, you would, that we would have purified hearts and that we completely live totally and fully for you. We thank you, Lord, for the grace to consider our hearts and to to get rid of those things that hold us back and to live fully and completely abandoned to you and and to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.